Praise the Lord, for God is good. Amen. His love does endure forever. Uh, It is good to see you all. Thankful that you're with us. Thankful that you're here. We are going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning. So if you want to go ahead and start finding your place there, uh, we are continuing in our series that we've called Identity, where we have been really looking at the marks of a healthy church. And I hope that really you've not only taken the time to go back and review your notes over the past couple weeks and maybe reviewed the scripture again or gone back and listened to the sermons, but I hope and pray by God's grace that you've taken uh, the opportunity to see these words, to hear these words, and to to even pray uh, this, these texts and these words uh, back over ourselves as a body of believers, but also as a church as well. To give you an idea of what I'm talking about, specifically examples of how you can pray this back over yourselves. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, just the preached word and how the preached word should be central to the life of the church. And I think one of the ways that we can pray that is to pray that we individually and we corporately as the body of believers would be faithful to the word of God, that we would hide the word of God within our hearts, that we would study it privately and yet come together to for the purpose of studying it corporately as well. Next, we talked about gospel doctrine and the importance of understanding a healthy gospel doctrine. And so I think one of the ways that we could pray for that is to pray that our church would be faithful in preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And then as individuals, we would be obedient and bold and faithful in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ according to the word of God and what it is that Jesus has said and done within the word, realizing that it is not about what we do. And then the last thing last week, we talked about the importance of evangelism and conversion. And I think that ties in really well with gospel doctrine that as a people, we would be faithful to tell people about the good news of Christ. Because you see, here's the reality There is a hope that we now have. And I know by now we are not hopeful in our country in resolving issues of pandemics. I'm confident we're not hopeful in our country resolving oil prices. Um, I am not seeing anybody going to the gas pump recently and saying, praise the Lord for he is alive. You can tell by the price I'm currently paying. You see, in a time and a place where everything seems so discouraging and so bleak as Christians, we do have a hope. We do have good news. There are better days ahead. And so with that, we have the opportunity as Christians to not only pray for God to give us that boldness to make him known, but that we would then faithfully share that good news of making Christ known. And so I'm hoping that as we continue to walk through this series, that you will continue to find ways to continue to pray each of these marks for our church, but also each of these marks back within your life. Well, this morning we are continuing in our series really by looking at the importance of church membership. Now, uh, I got to be honest with you for a moment and state a very simple truth. I understand and recognize uh, that as a pastor of a church, this is not a popular subject to be talked about in the church, especially the modern evangelical church. You see, many people often overlook the importance of church membership and even downplay the importance of church membership. And if I could confess to you this morning, early on in my own walk, uh, shortly after coming 
coming to faith in uh, in Christ, I too did not see nor understand the importance of being a part of a local church, nor did I see it as an important pillar or an important aspect to be discussed or to be taught or to be done within the life of the church. And I think many scholars have argued at this point that, you know, not only scholars, but people have argued that church membership is not biblical. In fact, some have gone on to say that you really don't see membership in the Bible. And I just want to argue against that for a moment and push against that if I could this morning and say to you, I actually would argue uh, from two points of view for a moment. The first point would be that of a historical point of view. Yes, you don't necessarily see membership directly mentioned because the reality is from what we know of early church history, there was no such thing as church shopping. There was no such thing as bouncing around from church to church because the reality is there was only one church within the community and chances are that church was facing heavy persecution by those whom they were living around. So if you could put yourself in context of the early church, if someone were to get mad, say at the church or someone got frustrated, say with the leadership of the church or say someone got upset with a number, uh, uh, another member for whatever reason and then they ultimately said that's it deuces i'm out uh which by the way i don't think they spoke that way in the new testament but either way you get the point the question that would have to be asked of the early church is great you're leaving where are you gonna go bro there's nowhere to go there is but one church and so you're gonna have to find a way to figure this out together because there is nothing else that is out there unless you intend to move your entire family to a completely different community. You see, I can't help but wonder from a historical perspective if this same model would change how we currently handle conflict within the church. I wonder if this would be true even of us today. I told you there was two points of argument I would make here, the first being historical, the second would be this. It's from a biblical perspective. You see, when you look in the Bible, you clearly see in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that there were people who were there who were supported by the church or the body of believers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul calls for the exclusion from the body of believers, the church, those who were in unrepentant sin. And then again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writing to the church, then called the church to include some of those around them. Now again, this is not an exhaustive list, but clearly there was some sort of covenant that existed amongst the gathered body of believers. You see, the practice of church membership helps us to hold each other both in responsibility and in love. The practice of church membership allows us as a body of believers to identify ourselves to a particular church, to then submit ourselves to the pastors or the elders of that specific church and submit ourselves to the other members. And it's through the practice of church membership that we now commit to one another, both in attendance and giving and prayer and in service. And yet sadly, sadly, many in the church, churches themselves have forgotten the weight and the responsibility of being members. In fact, not too long ago, the Southern Baptist Convention, which we are a part of, 
did a study through its local churches and they found that the typical church has 176 members on roll. But when they started looking at the number in attendance on service, out of the 176 members that were only that were on roll, there were only 69 of those members who were actively present for a Sunday morning worship service. Now that would lead us to the question, why is the number of membership versus attendance so far off? Well, I'm going to go ahead and confess to you that I have some thoughts on that. And clearly, you are not surprised by the fact that I have thoughts on that. And none of these thoughts, honestly, have anything to do with the pandemic. I think, and if we can agree this morning, I think that we have forgotten, and by we, I mean Christians at large, I think we have forgotten that a church is thoroughly a Christian word that has absolutely nothing to do with a building. In fact, if I could, it's, it was the New England Puritans who, would, who used to refer to the building as the meeting house for this very reason. You see, for the New England Puritans, the church is a body of people who then give evidence and profess that they have been saved by God's grace alone. So the church, the body of people, was a local body of people who were fully committed to Jesus Christ and who regularly assembled to worship under the gathered word of God, and then they sought to faithfully obey that very word. You see, the church is not, nor was not, historically the building. It was the people. And so if we can agree on that, then I would then argue then we must also agree that we now gather as a church for the purpose of worship to God and to then affirm one another's salvation in Christ Jesus. You see, by being present in worship, we are saying this morning that yes, we are here for the purpose of glorifying God as believers in Jesus Christ. And so when we join with the local church, when we become members of the local church, we are saying that our lives, our actions, and our words are now a testimony of the good news of Jesus and the fact that he is our Savior and Lord. So if we can agree on that point, then we have to ask ourselves, if we are not members of a local church, then how can a congregation honestly testify that someone invisible to the church is faithfully running the race in obedience to Jesus Christ? How can we faithfully testify to that person's salvation if they have decided to remove themselves from the fellowship altogether without seeking to join with another fellowship and within another church. You see, I want to let you know this morning that this is exactly why we here at Southside have a church member covenant. And if you're looking at me right now saying, I have no idea what you're talking about, then you have clearly not read our constitution and bylaws. 
Because within that document, you will find a church member covenant. Now, again, I want to stress to you that this is not an extra biblical covenant, but rather it comes directly from the word of God. The whole covenant itself is a whole statement on what it is that we affirm and what it is that we will do as members of the local church according to the word of God. Now, if you've ever read the church covenant before, which, by the way, I think at some point, Go with me for a moment. I think at some point in our church's life, we need to have a church covenant signing where we acknowledge that we affirm the covenant as members of Southside Baptist Church, but that's a conversation for another day. If you read that covenant, you'll notice the next to last statement says this, that we will, when we move from this place as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. So you see, whether at our church or with joining with another church, we are covenanting together to live in faithful unity to one another as laid out by the word of God. And if called away, then as believers in Jesus Christ, we will faithfully seek to join with another body and covenant with them for the purpose of edification and encouragement and accountability. But you see, here's the beauty of church membership. You see, as we get into our text this morning in Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to see that even the word of God shows us our need to be in covenant with one another as church members, ultimately for the glory of God, but also for the good of our own souls. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me now to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to begin reading in verse 19. And once you can and you are able, when you have found your place in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, I would encourage you to stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. Again, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. We read, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Man, let's pray together. Father God, we come before you today thanking you so much for this time and we thank you for just this opportunity. And Father, we pray that as we gather this morning that Lord, you and you alone would be glorified. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we've already had to sing your word, to, to hear your word spoken, to pray your word back over our lives. And Father, in these next few moments, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to understand your truth as we unpack this together. Father, we thank you for how it is you that has drawn us together this morning. We thank you for the fact that where there are two or more gathered in your name, there you will be also. 
And we thank you for your word and what it is that we can learn by it. So, Father, prepare our hearts for your truth this morning. And again, may you be glorified above all else. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, I have to be honest, there's been a lot of debate as to who actually wrote this particular letter here in Hebrews. Some have attributed it to multiple other people. Some have said Paul, some have said Apollos. Either way, there is a great debate. What we do know of Hebrews is that it was probably written sometime around AD 70, and many scholars have asserted that these words were actually meant for the Jewish Christians of the day due to the title of the letter, which says to the Hebrews, and also the amount of Old Testament references that we've seen made throughout this letter, which would have been clearly understood by the Jewish people. Now, even though there is an unknown in terms of authorship within this letter, we are confident in what the theme of this letter is, which is for the audience to see and believe that Jesus Christ is greater than any priest or any old covenant institution. At the same time, another theme that we see emerge is that the people are now called to the great salvation that is found in Jesus Christ and then to ultimately rest in who Christ is as well as to continue to encourage the church and encourage one another to persevere in the midst of the persecutions that they were now facing. And it's here in the midst of the letter in Hebrews chapter 10, we are now given a glimpse of, a, of the call to healthy church membership. Now, before we jump into the text, uh, I want to define covenant membership for you, if I could, because we've already thrown that out and it's already visually seen within our constitution and bylaws. You see, covenant membership defined as a promise made to God and to one another that is based on a summary of how we agree to live according to the word of God and thus serves as a sign of the commitment that we have made to one another and the commitment that we have now made before God. In fact, the historian Charles DeWeese says it this way. He says, a church covenant is a series of written pledges based on the Bible, which church members voluntarily make to God and to one another regarding their basic moral and spiritual commitments and the practice of their faith. You see, covenant membership is not extra biblical. Rather, it simplifies what we believe, and what we agree to as members according to the word of God. Covenant membership is not some sort of document that calls for a gag order to be placed on our members in our membership, but rather it allows the membership to hold one another accountable according to the word of God. Now, have covenant memberships in other churches been abused before? The answer to that question is yes. We've sadly seen that played out in multiple modern churches, but even in those moments, it doesn't make covenant membership a bad thing. In fact, church covenants have been around since the 16th century church. So this is not a new thing for us and actually was a study part of our diet as a Baptist church in early history. You see, it can actually be argued that covenant membership clearly distinguishes the believer from the world, which is what we are called to as those who worship a holy God, according to Ezekiel chapter 36. 
So now that begs the question, why should a healthy church practice covenant membership? Well, looking at our text in verses 19 through 21, we see that covenant membership begins with God. Look again at verse 19 and 20, if you will. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Now notice the writer of Hebrews here opens by telling us that we now have access to God through Jesus Christ. And the key word in this passage that I would highlight and underline is the word confidence. You see, because of God and because of his great love for his people, he has given us a new covenant in Christ. Meaning this, those who now confess and trust as Jesus and Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord now have an open door with free and open access to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I love how Francis Schaeffer puts it. He says the central message of biblical Christianity is the possibility of men and women approaching God through the work of Jesus Christ. Do you understand and see that God, through his great love, gave us access to him through the atoning work of Jesus Christ? Have you noticed how, as we have said this each and every week, this work is it's God's work. God is the one who began this work. God is the one who did this work. God is the one who is doing the work, and it is God who will be the one that will finish the work. We move from there into verse 21, and we read these words, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now, let's pause there and ask the question, does this mean that we need a priest like our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters believe in? The answer is no, absolutely not. But rather what the text is telling us is that Jesus Christ, the, the one who opened and secured our way to God, is also there in glory. In other words, it is Jesus who is now acting as our priest by pleading before the throne on our behalf and sending us the Holy Spirit, according to John chapter 15, who now fills and empowers us to be worshipers around the throne of the living God. So the point of this text so far is because of God's promise, because of God's covenant to us, we now have both confidence to enter around the throne of God, and we now have a great high priest who pleads for us. I think we just sang about that. You see, covenant membership began when God sent his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to pay the price that we could not afford so that we could have access to God. And it's this new covenant that we can now rest in knowing that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us according to Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Covenant membership was established by God for his glory and for the good of man. Covenant membership was established to connect man 
to God. And therefore, as a church, we should practice covenant membership together. This then leads to our second point of why covenant membership. We see it in verse 22 through verse 24. Covenant membership not only began with God, but it allows for accountability. Now, I want you to notice in this particular section of the passage, we are now called to live a certain way. In fact, if you're paying attention in verse 22, 23, and 24, we have this let us phrase that appears three times, which is a clear call for the believer to live a certain pattern of life according to the commands of God found within the word of God. Notice verse 22, and let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Here again is a clear call to a life of worship. Now, this is not to be confused with our worship to God on Sunday, but rather this is a clear call to live lives as an act of spiritual worship, which is what we also read in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You see, this call to a life of worship, daily living for the glory of God, is not only commanded by God back in Exodus chapter 20, but it's also a central theme that we find in our text in Hebrews, but also in other places in Hebrews when we read in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16, and let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, God says that living and speaking as an act of worship is both our highest privilege as believers in Jesus Christ, but it's also the central duty to the Christian faith. So how do we now draw near to God in worship through our lives? Well, the author answers that question when he says, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. You see, when we come to God with lives of worship, because of the completed work and the atoning work of Jesus Christ, our lives, which have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, is now ours to live, and therefore our hearts, according to the text, are now sprinkled clean. How is this seen by the church? The author answers that question as well. He says, because our bodies are washed with pure water. He's talking about baptism. You see, baptism symbolizes the spiritual renewal that has taken place in our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, baptism is not only a testimony to the good news of Jesus Christ and what it is that he has done in our lives, but as a church, baptism is a testimony of a profession that we have made in Jesus Christ as our Lord. And therefore, when we are baptized in and through the local church, we are now presenting ourselves as believers and offering ourselves to the accountability of the church body. You see, our lives as Christians should be seen as an act of worship because of the blood and the water. It's the blood and the water that holds us accountable to the work of the Spirit in our lives, and it's the blood and the water that holds us accountable to one another. 
But then we get to verse 23. And we read these words, and let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, the key word in this particular passage that I would underline is the word confession, because in the Greek, it means public or doctrinal confession, if you will. In other words, we now hold one another accountable in covenant membership by upholding the truth of the word of God within our lives and within the lives of one another. And here's the sad truth for us this morning. Many people in many churches have now abandoned the truth that is the word of God. There are Christians who have now abandoned the word of God. We have now gotten to a point where many people can't even quote or interpret basic scripture correctly. Thus our need for constant and consistent sound teaching and instruction in the word of God. You see, as Christians like the Hebrews, we need to have an unwavering Devotion to Jesus Christ. And we need to have an unwavering devotion to the word of God. As Christians holding fast to our confession, which is the word, we are not to be silent about what we believe, nor are we to compromise the capital T truth that we have received according to the word of God. Therefore, we must remain close to the word because it is in the word that we now find our hope. You see, in covenant membership, we are able to hold one another accountable to the word of God. We are able to encourage one another to remain in the word of God. This is why one of the realities that I often see and hear so many times, it's really easy to tell when someone has walked away from the word of God. Anytime we have someone come to us with some sort of grief, some sort of angst, some sort of frustration, some sort of heartache, what's the first question we generally ask that person? Or better yet, wives, when your husbands come home grieving and in angst and frustrated, what's the first thing you ask your husband? It's not, can I bake you a plate of brownies? I promise you that. It's, how's your time in the word? How often do we ask ourselves that question? And why do we ask ourselves that question? Because we realize that when we're dealing with heartaches, frustration, grief, angst, worries, fear, struggles, you can tell who is in the word versus who is not. Because those who are not in the word will fall into the fear and the temptation of trying to figure it out themselves and they will fall into a sense of worry and they will lose fact of the sight that God is in complete and total control. I hear you, Allison. I know you said those same words to me just two days ago. I hear you. I say those words under deep conviction at this moment. You see, here's the reality. And I would encourage you to either write this down just inside the cover of your Bible or maybe put it on a note card in your Bible. This is a word that it's often attributed to John Owens. I'm not confident that he said these words. A lot of people aren't either because it's been said so much, but here's the word we get. When it comes to the word of God, either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Remain close to the word. Hold one another accountable to the word. But notice the writer's not done. We get to verse 24. 
And notice what's said here. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Now, this is the final let us statement. And literally, it's saying that covenant membership now calls us to a life of loving community. You see, when we study the word, our lives become a spiritual act of worship because the goal is then to encourage one another in godly living according to the word of God. But then notice there's this phrase that says stir up, which literally means to incite or to provoke or to stimulate. You see, for us today, we should be giving thought to how we can encourage or help encourage other believers in our lives according to the word. Now, the question has to be asked, are we going to argue as believers? Yes, because we're a faith family together. Are we going to agree on everything? No. Why? Because we're going to have, we're a faith family and we're going to have those moments where we don't always agree. But here's a reality we need to face according to the word. Be careful when you find yourself around someone who seeks to tear down another believer. Be careful when you find yourself around someone who wishes to speak ill of the church. You see, the call of the believer is to love and to encourage one another in works that glorify Jesus Christ. And when slander occurs, it's not just tearing down that person. It's tearing down the house of God. And it's ruining the witness of Jesus Christ. This needs to stop. In fact, Jesus in his own words in John chapter 13, verse 34 says it this way. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Here is the clear call to action and what it is that we should be holding each other accountable to as a church. You see, as we gather as a church, as we come to worship Jesus Christ and and live spiritual lives of worship as covenant members, we are here to encourage one another and to stand firm together until the day of the Lord's return. Let me unpack what I'm talking about. You see, there are several in our midst, and I'm sure all of us have struggled with this at this moment, where you've honestly thought to yourself that you don't matter. You have probably said of yourself that, man, if I quit going to church, I probably wouldn't be missed. I would encourage you to go back and look at John 13 uh, verse 34. I would encourage you to go back and look at Hebrews 10 verses 22 through 24, because here's the reality. You never know how your presence encourages another person in worship. You will never know In fact, if I could encourage everybody in this room at some point over the next few weeks, if you would, if there's someone in this room who has just encouraged you in worship, would you just let that be known? Would you just, would you just tell them? Because man, we live in a society where we just simply want to tear each other down. And that stuff is now invading the church. And what's being lost is seeking the bond of peace through the truth in love. And what's missing is encouragement. Could you just let someone know that? Because you don't know what they're going through. Let them know I'm encouraged by your presence in worship. You see, covenant of membership allows the body to hold one another accountable in our lives, to hold one another accountable in our defense of the word, in our prayers, and even in our presence. 
And so as a body of believers, as the church, are we being faithful to hold one another up? Who today do we need to encourage? Whether they're in this room or whether they're not, and we need to encourage them to come back to worship and come back to faithful living for Jesus Christ. This leads us to our third point, which is found in verse 25. Covenant membership commands us to gather. Now, again, this is probably one of the more famous passages in this section. It says in verse 25, you can look with me, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So here we are speaking specifically to the gathered body of believers. Here we are speaking specifically, talking specifically about the body of believers gathered for the purpose of worship. This is what we are doing now. And by the grace of God, whether it happens in this room or in the days ahead in the chapel building, it doesn't matter. The body of believers can gather anywhere for the purpose of worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we are speaking specifically about worship. And here is a clear call as believers in Jesus Christ to assemble together for public worship, to gather, to delight in worship, to be convicted, to be encouraged, to be refreshed, to be instructed, to be edified according to the word of God in the context of worship. Notice there's no clear call to to miss worship because we're tired. Notice there's no clear call to, to miss worship because we're simply hurting and we want to be left alone. Notice there's no clear call to, to simply leave because we got bored. I've heard people say that about churches recently. They say, uh, their pastors, pastors have shared this with me when they ask their members, hey, why did you leave our church? And people are saying, well, because your church service is boring. I don't ever want to hear anyone say that when we are gathered in eternity around the throne of God. Or better yet, let me flip the script for a second. What do you think is going to happen when we stand in judgment and all of a sudden God looks at us and says, I'm sorry, not letting you in, you're boring. Who wants to hear those words? No one. By God's grace, we won't. You see, when it comes to our lives, even as a parent or a grandparent, if you will, too oftentimes we ask our kids after church, did you have fun today? Can I just gracefully and as with all the love in my heart tell you that that is absolutely the wrong question to ask your child after church? I think the better question to ask is, what did you learn about God today? You know why? Because if you're at a church like our church that is faithfully teaching your children the word of God, I promise you not every day is going to be fun. Okay? Listen, the story of Noah, the ark, not a fun story. Yes, a lot of animals got on by twosies, twosies. A lot of people drowned by the hundreds, hundreds. Okay? Not a fun story if you think about it. Not fun. There's other stories like that. There's stories of battles and wars. There's stories of fighting and bloodshed and sin and the darkness of sin. Not always going to be fun. But I promise you this, as a church, we're going to teach truth. And we're going to teach our children about the goodness and the grace and the redemption that comes from Jesus Christ, our Lord. So if you're going to ask your children anything, ask them, what did you learn about God today? 
And then let's teach our children about the grace, the goodness, and the holiness of our God. You see, as a church, our desire should be to gather for the purpose of worshiping God according to the sound teaching of the word of God. In other words, to simply put this, we are not a social club. The church does not exist for our entertainment. And yet here is my fear. And I want to say this with as much humility and grace that I can offer to you this morning. Have you ever heard of the word apostasy before? If you haven't, can I define it simply? Apostasy means the abandonment or the renunciation of our religious belief. Now again, hear me according to verse 25 when it says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. The author is saying to us, look, when you leave the church, when you stop showing up at church, not because of sickness or because you're out of town for work or your car breaks down or, or, or maybe you're in the midst of a move, but that moment when the body can look around and ask the question, where did that person go? then you need to understand that the body can no longer affirm your testimony. The body can no longer affirm your walk with Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean that you can lose your salvation? Absolutely not. Do not hear me say that. I did not say that. What I am saying is for the purpose of accountability, we cannot testify to your walk when you are absent. Also, as a body, when you are absent, and I'm not just talking one absent due to sickness. All of us have dealt with sickness in here, man. I've heard from you. I hear you. We've dealt with COVID. We've dealt with flus. We've dealt with uh, allergies. We've dealt with upper respiratory infections. We've dealt with just crud. I don't even know how to, I don't even know if that's a medical definition of a thing you can get. Crud. Torje just gave me the, yeah, it counts. Okay, thank you. I'll take that. So I got, I'm looking at two nurses right now. They're both like, yeah, yeah, it counts. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a willingness to leave and not be joined with another local body. When we do that, then a local body can no longer speak into our life. And what it begins to show is that maybe, just maybe, we are beginning to abandon our own beliefs. Now, some of you may be saying, wait a minute, pastor, man, I haven't, I haven't done that. Or wait a minute, pastor, I know people, they didn't do that. Well, then let me ask this question in what I'm talking about. How can we claim to have a passionate faith for Jesus Christ? How can we claim a life of discipleship according to the word of God? How can we claim a clear passion and call to missions and yet not have a desire to be a part of the local body of believers, which is the church? That weighs heavy on me. And I hope it weighs heavy on you. But there's good news. Coming back to our text. You look with me in verse 25 again. There's my favorite conjunction, the word but. It says, but encouraging 
one another. Notice there's a clear call to encourage one another to gather with the body for prayer, to encourage one another to gather with the body for the purpose of worship, for the purpose of service to Jesus Christ. There's this clear call to gather together corporately and dare I say that no, our gospel communities don't do all of that. Rather, our GCs and our small groups are an extension of the evangelism as a church that seeks to faithfully share the gospel within our communities. Our GCs are not the church. Rather, they are an extension of the church. And so what we are doing today as a gathered body of believers, as a corporate body of believers, this is the church. Do not neglect the gathering of the body. Now, again, I'm not throwing shots at our GCs. I think they are wonderful. But it becomes a problem when all of a sudden people begin to say our small groups are our church. Our social hour is our church. And I refuse to gather with the body of believers when they are called together on Sunday mornings. You see, covenant membership encourages and commands the body to gather for the purpose of public worship and to gather for the purpose of prayer, to gather for the purpose of edification towards one another, to one another, and to ultimately glorify God in our hearts and minds. And we are called to do this together. Don't allow life or the circumstances of life to stop you from gathering with the body of believers. In fact, I would encourage you by saying this morning that when it comes to the gathered corporate body of believers, this should be a moment that we desire. This should be a moment that we are looking forward to as a church every week. This should not be a burden or should not be a chore or another thing to check off our to-do list. You see, when we read this text... There is a clear call to be a part of the local body of believers and not just simply to be with them, but rather to covenant together with them through worship, for the purpose of accountability, set by God's example, we now see the need for members of the body to link arms to covenant together as members of God's house. Again, I remind you, the church is not a building. If I could borrow the words again from New England Puritans, this is simply the meeting house. And as the church, as the body, let's continue to show up to edify one another. Let's continue to show up to glorify God in our worship. You see, we are a covenant membership church as called by the word of God. So let's honor what it is that we have committed to God and let's honor what we have committed to one another. Let's pray together.